0: Let me begin here. Do you all know what a Karen is? Right? Now listen, time out. We have some wonderful women in our redemption family who are named Karen. And and so apologies to you up front, okay? Like great, great women named Karen in our congregation. But do you know what a Karen haircut is? You know, this right here is the quintessential Karen haircut. (laughs) Evidently, I didn't make this up. The internet will tell you this, okay? This is also known as the... I'd like to speak to your manager haircut, right? And for those of you in customer service, you're like, yeah, I know that haircut, right? And so I get it, okay? Now, I have to admit that I have a little bit of Karen in me, okay? Like, like, I appreciate good customer service. And when I don't get it, I get ticked. Like, when I walk up to the counter and there's three employees and they're just shooting the breeze with each other on their phones, they're ignoring me. I'm sitting there for like five minutes saying, hello, hello. My my inner Karen starts, like here I am right here. There I am, okay? (laughs) I don't know if that's Karen Rick or Rick Karen, but my inner Karen starts to come out in those moments. And you've been there. You've experienced it, right? Like when you're supposed to be helped by somebody and it's their job, but they're on the phone, they're ignoring you, they're rude, they're unhelpful, and you go into full Karen mode. I get it, I get it. Now, it's not just in customer service situations sometimes it's when you're new somewhere like if you're new to a school or a team or a club or an organization maybe you're new to a job and you kind of expect that the people that are already there that they would be nice to you that they would make you feel welcome and they don't and you want to go a little bit caring on them right i get it what about our church That's the question we want to wrestle with in this new series. We're just going to take two weeks to talk about hospitality, that it's more than just donuts. Hospitality is more than just donuts. And the question I want to put before us is, are we friendly as a church? Are we hospitable? Do we make new people feel at home and feel welcome? And the answer is, of course we do. We put out donuts, right? Check the box. We're done here. And so, what about when somebody pulls in our parking lot and and somebody like beats them to that parking spot and cuts them off? And then that new person walks in here and nobody says hi to them, meets them, greets them, interacts with them at all. People are rude to you, and we say, but it's okay because we offer donuts. Is that is that really enough? I praise God by the awesome worship that we get to participate in. And I pray to the Lord that at least I hope we have some solid teaching. And if we have great worship and solid teaching, but we're all jerks, that's going to hurt us, and that's going to hurt our mission, and it doesn't matter that we offer donuts. So the question is, are we? Are we hospitable? And I want to know the answer to that. And so maybe some of you remember back in October... We sent out a survey, because we get mixed reports on that, and I'm like, I'm confused by these emails, like, I don't know, so let's find out. We sent out an email to everyone. If we had your email address, we sent it out back in October, and we asked questions like these right here. We said, outside of door greeters or other volunteer positions, do people approach you and greet you? And you could have answered, never, sometimes, or always. Then we said, on a scale of one to five, how friendly would you say Redemption Chapel is? And then the last question was a short answer. What would make you feel more welcome at Redemption Chapel? Now, there was one problem with the survey that we should have anticipated. We did it during 2020. (laughs) Awesome. Right in the middle of the pandemic, and now this survey had absolutely nothing but nothing to do with COVID-19 or masks. But can you imagine the answers we got to that last question? We got answers that said, uh, what would make me feel more welcome if nobody was wearing masks? We also got answers that said, if everyone was wearing masks. So I'm going, okay, Rick, walk in the spirit, walk in the Holy Spirit, walk in the spirit. It's all good. But we did get other responses. We got some responses that said more donuts. <laughs> Believe it or not, some that said better donuts, right? Then we, then we got a response from this guy right here that said, a lazy boy recliner and a remote to hit rewind when needed. Now, I don't know that it was a guy, but come on, right? He asked for a recliner and a remote. Probably a dude right there. I, I read every last response that you guys sent in. Uh, and I did have some pa- proud pastor moments in there because it was interesting how many of you uh, responded and you took it towards yourselves and your responsibility to either make yourselves feel at home or to make others feel at home, what you should do, what you could do, as opposed to expecting it was everybody's responsibility around you to make you feel welcome. That was, made me really proud of you guys. Uh, an example was, I love this response, look at this. Somebody said, not knowing many people encouraged us to volunteer and join a community group. The more people we get to know, the more comfortable and welcome we feel. I feel the church does a great job at welcoming us, but we can only, but, excuse me, but can only take us so far, then we have to jump in and participate in that effort. That's really, really mature. I like that. Now, nonetheless, that takes time, right? Like, you've got to invest over time. When you show up new, you are by definition new, and you don't know anyone yet. But think what we encourage our middle school children. Like, maybe they're sixth grade, it's time for them to start, start to go to midweek, and of course the complaint is, but I don't know anyone. We say, well, of course you don't, because you're new. You have to go, that's how you meet people. You, that's how it works, right? And so we tell our kids that. We forget that Dynamic as adults as adults we show up to church and we're we're sixth graders and Well, I, and it, listen you're new it takes time. You got to invest. I get that Nonetheless, everybody's experience is a little bit different And so what about the data like what did we just do you guys want to know the numbers that kicked out like the, I want like tell me the numbers man, right? So here's what we found on the question of outside of door greeters or other volunteer positions do people approach you and greet you? Only eight percent said never. That's kind of good. I, I I like that. And then on a scale of one to five, how friendly would you say Redemption Chapel is? Eighty-three percent said either a four or a five. The average was four point two five. Spot on four and a quarter. Right? I go huh? All right. I love that. That's, that's somewhat encouraging. Part of that reflects one of our values as Redemption Chapel. From our very beginning 12 years ago, we have valued a warm, welcoming, friendly, fun atmosphere. That is gold. Now, 12 years ago, we were 250 people. A year ago, just before the shutdown, I won't tell you numbers now, it's like all, it's crazy. But, but a year ago, we were at 1,500, okay? Now, the point is that it, it's a lot easier to be hospitable at 250 than 1,500, Right for everybody to feel welcome. And so the challenge is greater, but the value is still there. And I'm praying that as we continue to grow as a church, that God will allow our large church to feel small. That'll take some work for us, right? Nonetheless, we can pat ourselves on the back for this kind of uh, feedback, or, or we as a family can get determined that nobody but nobody would ever say a one, two, or a three. And 17% of people did. That, that's concerning to me. Now granted, there might be some Karens in there. Okay, could be. Some jaded people, some people who are maybe mad at the church in general, uh, or, or whatever, complainers, I don't know. But also, it could be people who are hurting, who are lost, who are saying, maybe God has something to do with this for me, and they're looking to connect with God, and we failed to connect with them but we checked the box because we offered donuts. And that's not who we want to be. So what we're going to do is take 2 weeks to talk about hospitality. So in order to talk about that, we have to say, well, what is hospitality? What does that word mean? See, a lot of churches have a hospitality committee. We have a team that does like coffee and donuts on Sunday and parking and welcome kiosks and door greeters, whatever. But a lot of churches, their hospitality committee is the team of people that do food service at various events. And more often than not, those committees are dominated by women. Because right or wrong is not the point. Culturally speaking, when we hear hospitality, we think female. But the Bible doesn't. Like 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 both give lists of qualifications for the very same position, what to look for. okay? And it's not what to look for in a wife. And it's not what to look for for the hospitality team. It's what to look for in an elder. The top leadership position in a church, in order to qualify, you have to be a person that displays hospitality. What? Why is that? Well, the word that we translate into hospitality, the Greek word is philoxenos. And it's a combination of two Greek words. The first one is philia, which is one of the Greek words for love. And the second word is xenos, or sometimes pronounced xenos, incorrectly I might add, but uh, xenos, which is outsider, stranger, alien, foreigner. You put those together, what the word literally means is loving the outsider, loving the new person, loving the stranger among you. And you understand the gospel requires it. This is right at the heart of the gospel. We were outsiders to God, and he welcomed us in. The gospel is hospitality. And therefore, it has to be in the heart of an elder or you can't be an elder. Jesus did it and now we've got to do it for others. That's why it must be in the top leadership of the church. It's an issue of the gospel. Now, I went after that a little bit to help elevate the importance of this issue in your heart. The, the risky part for me is that I might have just absolved you from it because you went, well, I'm not an elder. <laughs> Hope those guys listen to this sermon. Okay? But another place the same word, philoxenos, shows up is in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Look at this. It says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's not geared at elders, that's all of us. Followers of Jesus, that's a verse for you. You can find it in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, all these commands toward Christians to do hospitality. And what it is, is a disposition to make those who are new or outsiders to feel welcome, to feel comfortable, to feel at home. We often think about practicing hospitality in our homes. Think of what that means. It's your home. You're an insider. You feel at home. You feel comfortable. You invite somebody over. By definition, they don't feel at home. They are outsiders. And your job in practicing hospitality is, can I help that outsider feel at home, even though it's not really their home? Can I help them feel at home? It's the same with the church. Our mission, because of the gospel, we want to help more and more people connect with God. Our mission is to help outsiders come in and feel at home, even though they might not yet be at home. We want to practice hospitality. That is philoxenos, loving the outsider. That's hospitality. Now, there is a little bit of a difference here. Uh, in your home you know who lives there right so when company comes over you know who the outsider is that you got to make at home in church it's a little bit more challenging cuz cuz we don't we don't wear like hats that say outsider new person like we don't do that right And so the assumption that we all have when we come in new to a church, we all assume that everyone else is incredibly at home and connected, and I'm the only new person, and why aren't they saying hi to me? Why aren't they making me feel welcome? Look, we get judgy in the the rows of chairs here, and so you're sitting there, you're new, and you're wondering why the people around you aren't saying hi and making you feel comfortable. (laughs) Guess what they're saying about you? They might be just as new. You don't know. And they're probably looking at you, thinking you're way connected in the church. Why aren't you making them feel welcome, jerk? <laughs> I, that's what they're thinking. And so perhaps what we need to do is just move toward each other and go be the church. Do what we're supposed to do. You see, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, as lovers of the gospel, we are commanded towards hospitality, to love the outsider, to welcome her in or welcome him in, to practice hospitality. And it's more than just donuts, way more. So what I want to do to tease that out is show you what is one of my favorite biblical examples of practicing hospitality. There was a lawyer who's an an expert in Old Testament law. And so he decided to throw down and have a little debate with Jesus, okay? (laughs) Little tip. Like when God takes on flesh and walks among us, don't try to debate him. Like you're going to lose every time, right? But he decides to go one-on-one with Jesus. And we're in Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Excuse me, verse 25 through verse 37. And here's what we find there. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying... Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, words are cheap. What are you going to do? Are you going to live it out? Are you going to go act on it? Right. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Can't you just hear the condescending tone? And who is my neighbor? See, the question in this case is to draw the circle as small as possible. If I can get Jesus to define who my neighbor is in a really tight circle. Maybe it's just my next door neighbors. That's two families on either side. I think I can pull off this kind of extreme love to just two families. Or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just the people who live in my house. Maybe it's just my family members. Or maybe it's the people in my community group. Totally depends who's in your community group. Sometimes they're hard to love. I'm just saying. Okay, But... Nonetheless, I digress. Right. So, so, but what I want to do is draw that circle as small as possible so that I don't, I'm not on the hook to show this kind of extreme love to too many people. That's what he's going for right there. And so what Jesus decides to do is to tell a story, to tease out who his neighbor is. And he continues like this. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Let me pause there and make make sure you understand some things. Uh, The road to from jerusalem to jericho back in that time was a very desolate road there weren't any villages on that road travel back then was dangerous there were highway robbers highwaymen, who would set upon you and rob you so it was a very common unfortunately thing for somebody to get beat up and robbed and here this guy is he's half dead he's bleeding out on the side of the road in a ditch And, and and here he's probably praying god Please, would you send somebody, uh, perhaps, Lord, send one of your priests, because the priest, of course, will love me, right? <laughs> Oops. No, he, the priest sees him and, and decides to pass by on the other side of the road. Now to understand that dynamic, let me refer to a very unfortunate part of our national history when there was Jim Crow and all kinds of racial oppression, not like it's all over. That's not my point. It continues, I know. But, but back then what would happen is I as a white man, I'm walking down a sidewalk and a black man's on the sidewalk, I would pass to the other side because that's an icky person. And I want to get away. So so here you have a priest coming upon. This is a fellow Jew, but he doesn't want to be inconvenient, so he's going to cross the other side to avoid him. It's a priest. Well, fortunately, a Levite comes along. A Levite is an assistant to the priest. So, So these people helped run the temple worship. And maybe priests are too full of themselves, so at least this assistant guy, he'll help out, right? Nope, he passes by on the other side. Now, all these people were insiders to each other. You would expect them to be neighbors, and they weren't. And what you notice in that is they were much more concerned about religion than people. Note that. Is that what we do? Are we more concerned about religion than people? And so Jesus decides to turn up the heat on the story a little bit, and here's how he continues. But a Samaritan... Jesus lands the story with this. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. This story is dripping with racial implications. I don't want it to be lost on you. See, Samaritans were not Jews. They were half-Jews. Uh, they, they were a tribe of Jews that had intermarried with other nations. And, and so there was racial difference. Now, uh, the the issue in the Old Testament was actually a spiritual. You weren't supposed to marry people from other gods. That was the issue. It wasn't really racial. And then people used this to say, see, interracial marriage is wrong. I want to make sure you understand really clearly. There's absolutely no problem with interracial marriage. We've got tons in our congregation. It's beautiful. We love it. That's okay. But for them back in that day, there was a racial divide that started to develop. They did not like each other. A good Jew, when he was had to travel north, he would go to the east and go miles out of his way to avoid Samaria so that he didn't have to go through Samaria. Some of you, when you have gone through certain neighborhoods, lock your doors, roll up your windows, or you avoid the neighborhood altogether. That's kind of some of what's going on here. There's racial animosity going on there at the very least you understand the Jews and Samaritans were not natural neighbors they were definitely outsiders they were strangers but remember the command is to practice hospitality to be loving toward the outsider And so what do we see in this passage there's there's a few things I want to pull out that that we'd hold on to and the first one is this that it's about loving people not religion Remember, the priest and the Levite were focused on religion, but the good Samaritan saw a person, despite race, a human being made in the image of God with dignity and value, and his heart broke, and he had compassion for a human being, and Jesus commended him. Now, the question is, when you go to church, are you just concerned with getting your dose of religion, or do you see a bunch of people around you that maybe you would treat like a neighbor and love them? And move toward the outsider. So we got to love people, not religion. Secondly, uh, what Jesus did is he redefined the word neighbor. It's not just about who you live next to, but it's about like all people. We're supposed to love God and then secondly, love people. What people? Like even the people you think you wouldn't have to love. Nope, you got to love them too. It's all people. You got to treat people well. And sometimes you're sitting next to people in church and you're acting like a priest or a Levite. You're not acting like a good Samaritan. You're not acting like a neighbor to just love them. So how could we love each other? Well, the third thing is to simply apply empathy. That's what the Good Samaritan did. He simply applied empathy. Remember why Jesus told the story. It was to tease out the idea that you should love your neighbor, check it, as yourself. That's empathetic. That's to say, listen, if I came across somebody bleeding out in the road, what would I want them to do for me? Oh, yeah, so I'll do that for him. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. Can we do that as a congregation? That when new people come in, we walk a mile in their shoes and understand how hard it is to be new at a church. What would I be feeling? What would, I be, what would help me feel at home and comfortable? Maybe I'll go do that for them. It's basic empathy. And notice this, there's no sense in the story that the good Samaritan took a personality test and realized that he was gifted at hospitality. Nobody told him, hey, you're an extrovert, man. You're a people person. No, none of that's in there. He was simply a decent human being that was treating another human being decently. He simply applied empathy. That's it. Another thing to note is that it was organic, not organized. There would a, be a little bit more of an expectation that the priest and the Levite actually had it in their job description that they should have helped the guy. The good Samaritan wasn't his job. He was just a dude probably on a business trip. This was going to interrupt him and cost him, and yet he saw another human being in need. So the point is that this is not a church program, it is not a position, Uh, this isn't about being a trained door greeter, this is just about loving God and loving people, it's that simple, it's organic, and then the last thing that I I noticed from this is that uh, for the good Samaritan, it cost him, it cost him, See, it wasn't about him feeling empathetic. It was about acting empathetic, actually doing something. So he poured out his wine and his oil. Those are valuable commodities. He took this Jew and put him on his own animal. That's the animal I was going to ride on. Now this broken down Jew who treated my people horribly, now he's going to ride on that. It costs him. And then it costs him money. He gave the innkeeper enough money for what they spent. Here's some extra for what... And if if there's more, I'll come back. He basically wrote a blank check. It cost him money. I wonder if you invite people to church, would you say, hey, and afterwards we'll go out to lunch on me? Oh, wait, that'll cost me. Yeah, you're getting it. You're getting it, right? It was risky for the Good Samaritan. Don't miss that. Listen... Uh, in that time and place, you come across a good Samaritan who has in his possession a beaten up Jew. You know what you assume, right? I'll bet you that Samaritan did it. Dirty Samaritan. It was risky for him. But he said, you know what? Despite the risk, people are worth it. People are worth it. So I'm going to do, I'm going to be loving towards him. And at the very least, money and Risk and all that. At the very least, he was interrupted and inconvenienced by this whole thing. Now, would we be, allow ourselves to be inconvenienced on Sunday morning? To be honest, when we come, don't we just want, we want to see our friends. We want to see the people who are in our community group. We want to hang out with them. Will I allow my Sunday mornings to be inconvenienced and interrupted? To be loving towards the outsider. That's what's going on here. Fill Zenos, love of the outsider. To understand the Good Samaritan story, I heard a wonderful paradigm one time. I want to share it with you. It's very crisp and clean. Look at this. The thieves said, what's yours is mine. and I'm going to take it. The religious leaders said, what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. But the Good Samaritan said, what's mine is yours. You feel that? Now, here's the thing. Most of us commend ourselves because we're not thieves, because we're not stealing from people, and we feel incredibly justified to say what's mine is mine. We think that's okay in God's economy. And Jesus said, no. I am calling you to more, to so much more. And if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want you to hear me really clearly right now. You are not called to what's mine is mine. You are called to, in a costly way, love your neighbor. What's mine is yours. So if we're to practice hospitality as a congregation, what might that look like on Sunday mornings? I want to give you a few suggestions. Number one, maybe you would park far away. Uh, Now, listen, if, if you have mobility issues, you please park as close as possible. We love you. We want to serve you. But if you don't have mobility issues, (laughs) you got two choices pulling in the lot. Either I'm going to go with get there before the selfish people do. Right? Right? Or love my neighbor. There's my choices. Love my neighbor. Uh, Secondly, uh, what if you were to scoot in? Scoot in? I love my aisle seat. Yeah, what's mine is yours. Right? What's mine is yours. Thirdly, what if you meet people? Meet people. Now, I said meet, not greet, because greed is easy. Saying hi costs me nothing. Meet is where I actually engage with somebody. I'm interrupted. I'm in convenience. I invest time in relationship. I meet them, and I get to know them. Now, we used to do this. You guys remember, like, before the pandemic hit, I, we would say at the end of the service, hey, there's going to be a benediction. After the benediction, I want you to turn to the people in front of you and behind you and meet them. And then the pandemic hit. And we were just glad to be able to meet in person. Like we didn't want to push our luck, <laughs> telling people to shake hands and all that. Like, let's let's leave that out for a little bit. But I think it's time to stop being elevator Christians. You know, here's what I mean by that. You know what happens in an elevator, right? You get in there, don't you make eye contact, don't you smile at me, and we sure are not gonna talk, right? And some of you approach church like that, you're elevator Christians at church but we're supposed to be like the good samaritan this should be organic and not organized and so listen you got to meet people if you need a job description for it here's your excuse me here's your job title ready here's your position title disciple of jesus in the job description love your neighbor there it is it's your job we should have a greeting team of over a thousand people on sunday mornings every sunday so I want you to meet people. And then lastly, what I want you to do is I want you to turn on your radar. Turn on your radar. Be looking for people who look lost or new or like they don't know where they're going in our large building. Maybe they look lonely or hurting. Now, as you do that, can I tell you, just use some tact, please. Use some tact. Let me tell you how I go shopping. If I'm looking for some, some clothes, I shop like a dude. I'm on a mission. I'm going to enter that store. I know what I'm looking for. I'll see it and buy it in five minutes, and I'm out, or I won't, and I'm out. That's how I go. And so, you know, there's the greeter at the front of the store. Hey, sir, welcome to our store. Uh, How can I help you? I do not break stride. I keep moving. I say, I'm good. Thank you, right? Now, typical good response from the employee is to say, totally understandably, sir. If you need any help, let me know. Perfect. Thank you. I love you. That's good, all right? Then every once in a while, I get the employee who just won't take no for an answer, right? right? And they're on me like white on rice. And they're like, no, uh, well, what are you looking for? Maybe I can show you where it is. What is your size? Can I get your size for you? I'm like, stop. I got this, right? Listen, when people come into church, I want you to meet them. Absolutely. But you got to have some tact. Sometimes people just want to observe church from a distance. And if you get that sense, give them that gift. There's other people who are like uh, an empty bucket with a hole in the bottom. You can't pour enough in. There's two both extremes. And so have some tact, some discernment as you move towards people and turn your radar on. By the way, speaking of having your radar on for outsiders, uh, let me return to the fact that this passage today has a lot of racial implications. And so let me begin with this. I want to praise God right now For the people of color who call our redemption family their own. That have come and they've made our family better. And the needle is moving on that. We're heading in the right direction. I love it and I pray more and more and more. God, please, love it. But we also have to understand a dynamic. That as I look out right now, this is a predominantly white congregation and we are in a lily white city. And so when a person of color comes here, understand they've already taken a risk. When they're new, they're walking in asking a question, am I welcome here, do I belong here? And it is our job to make sure they leave here feeling loved and feeling welcome so that by God's grace, I hope that they call this their home and join our family. We have a job to do, okay? Now, again, show some tact. If a person of color is new and walks in here, and a mob of white folks charges at them, it might have the opposite effect. Think, think, okay? Use some tact. But there are all kinds of outsiders who come here. Some people come here covered in tats and weird hair and all kinds of gauges and piercings. Look, I have a tattoo, I'm not an anti. But those people walk in and they're thinking, do I belong? Am I welcome? Uh, They they don't look like the cookie-cutter church person, and they're wondering. And and then there's people who've been beat up by life, and they're coming in. Sometimes they're just starting the path of recovery uh, from addiction, and they're thinking, am I welcome here, or am I too dirty for them? And there's people come in, and they don't know anything about the Scriptures. And we say, hey, take out your Bible and turn to Mark. And they think, I don't have a Bible, and I'll turn to Mark, but who is he? They don't don't know. And they're thinking, do I fit in? Listen, all those people I just mentioned, Jesus built his kingdom on them. Jesus was welcoming to them. He had love for those outsiders. And now it's our job to carry his mission forward. We are called to philoxenos, to love for the outsider. What can I do to help them feel at home so that it becomes their home? but you won't love them if you don't notice them, if you don't turn on your radar, okay? All right, let me just close with it. Listen, the gospel is all about welcoming the insider in. That's the heart of the gospel. And so we are called to philoxenos, to hospitality, loving the outsider. So go love your neighbor. Don't be a priest, don't be a Levite, be the good Samaritan. And what if you came to church every Sunday morning looking not just to get your dose of religion, but how can God use me? Now, you'll get blessed, I hope I pray sure, but can God use me to bless others? Maybe some new folks here. Imagine if we were a church just dripping with that. Isn't that the church you want? Imagine the impact on our community. That's exactly what I want. And so let me pray for it. Father in heaven. First, we want to thank you as your children who should not be. <laughs> we were aliens. We were outsiders. We are your enemies. And you practice hospitality with us. You came for us. You adopted us. You welcomed us in. And so now, as the hands and feet of Jesus, could we do the same? Would you use us as your people on Sunday morning with a charge? Something that burns in our heart to be Jesus to other people, to be like the Good Samaritan, to love our neighbor as ourself. Take us there, Lord, please. And I pray in Christ's name.